Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part 2. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was written by J.K. Rowling and was published in 2007. And the film adaptation, which we are discussing the second part, uh, came out in 2011 and was directed by David Yates. And we are finally at the end of this Harry Potter saga. We've been doing these episodes for so long now, and now it's almost over, Ian. I know. It's really, really been great because we started this back in, I think, the fall of 2019. Yeah. And so we did a lot of episodes during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think for us, it was really great to just kind of do something that was very comforting familiar yeah yeah uh, to read and watch and to get to discuss and so we've really enjoyed getting to do it during these uh difficult times and we hope that you've enjoyed getting to uh listen to the episodes yes and let's talk about the splitting into two parts and Mm -hmm. how this kind of kicked off a trend with movies for splitting them in two parts do you think it's necessary for this one I think for this one, it is. Yeah. Uh, or at least they did it in a way that made it feel necessary. And mm-hmm. I, I think that for a couple of reasons. One is just like the expanse of the narrative. Yeah. You know, it, it's covering a lot. And especially just focusing the second part on kind of the climactic battle. Yeah. I think was smart. Mm-hmm. And secondly, I think it was smart, too, because I think the halfway point being split with Dobby's death and then additionally putting the because this movie starts with uh the break-in of Gringotts yeah which is good because I mean this movie or this book this story has the Gringotts uh infiltration as well as the ministry infiltration Mm -hmm. and I think if that was in one story it might feel too similar yeah it kind of would have felt redundant or repetitive it was just in one movie yeah so I think splitting up those parts especially into the two different films uh helped a lot I agree. I think it makes sense to split the movie into two parts. And I also feel like they made a smart decision when they split them by making the tone of them very different as well. Mm, Yeah. The first one is definitely more kind of like it feels almost documentary style. Like it's very like this travel Uh, This road movie, it feels kind of bleak in a lot of ways. And then the second part is definitely more of like, like you said, the battles. We have a lot of these action scenes and the stakes have already are are like really high. Whereas the other one, we're kind of in the pit of despair, I think. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, um, one of the ways where I noticed that shift a lot is the first part, uh, the music. We discussed this a little bit last episode Like, the first movie relies a lot on kind of these, like, interesting soundscapes of, like, grading or interesting kind of sound choices and, like, a lot less music or a lot more minimal music. Yeah. Whereas this movie uh, felt like it had a lot more emphasis on the music to, like... Almost made it more cinematic feeling. Yeah. Like, when Harry finally returns to Hogwarts, like, the the main theme kind of swells in and it's kind of this, like, exciting epic moment that I Mm -hmm. think is really effective. So, like, I do think there... Despite these being two parts of one story, there are creative choices, like you alluded to, kind of made between the two that make them still feel different. Yeah. So two parts, definitely necessary. Yes. But this is something that's definitely like bled through into a lot of other franchises, too. Yeah. A lot of other movies did it. Um, 
The Hunger Games, Twilight, the, Twilight, uh, the Divergent films as well. Oh, real! I didn't realize those did it. And even like um, the Avengers films. Yeah. Although those t- movies felt very separate from each other. Mm-hmm. But when it was originally talked about, it was kind of pitched as like a part one, part two yeah. finale. And, you know, I think there is a really good, like narratively, you can end the first part on a bleak kind of yeah. tone. Yeah, yeah. And knowing that there's somewhere to go from there, Mm -hmm. but you're still kind of allowed to like end on this feeling. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I do think there's a lot of advantage and interesting narrative opportunities there. So I'm not, I'm never, I know when this first came out, people were like, oh, of course they want to make more money off the Harry Potter movies. Like they're going to make two of them. Yeah. But creatively, I think it's very justified. I think it can be for sure. Yeah. Maybe there not are, always. There are like scenarios where it's like, oh, did they need to make it Do they need two, two divergent movies? Do they need two Twilight movies? I don't <laughs> probably think Probably so. not. <laughs> that one I can say they probably didn't. Although... I feel like we only benefited from the two Twilight That's films. true. That's true. Can't <laughs> complain. Let's pick up with how the movie starts kind of recapping for us. We see that scene again where Voldemort grabs the Elder Wand from Dumbledore, yes. even though we don't know what it is yet. Mm-hmm. And we also see Snape as headmaster of Hogwarts. I kind of like just seeing him at the window there and getting this ominous vibe. It's I love how ambiguous it is. Just yeah. Snape's expression... Like, if you know the books, you might be reading more into it. If mm-hmm. you don't know what's going on with him yet, it could just be kind of seen as being, like, cold. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I think it's just a... I, I really like that moment of just seeing him kind of looking over the school. Mm-hmm. And in the book and the movie, we pick back up with Harry after burying Dobby. And I want to talk about the book here specifically because as Harry is burying Dobby and trying to figure things out. Like a lot of stuff is coming to him and he's realizing a lot of shit. Like the manual labor is doing him good. (laughs) Like he's, he's able to think clearly and he figures out like the Deathly Hallows. He figures out who has the elder wand. It was Dumbledore and Mm -hmm. that, that uh, Voldemort is going after it. And he also kind of realizes that his obsession with the Deathly Hallows is not what he should focus on anymore. Yeah, he kind of comes to the conclusion that Hermione did, you know, yeah. that she's obviously been saying forever now. She's been right. She's like, Dumbledore wanted you to find horcruxes. Yeah. And Harry, and I, I, I love this too, because I think it's depicted better in the book as a choice, because after the events of Malfoy Manor, yeah. they have Ollivander, uh, who probably has knowledge about the Elder Wand, mm-hmm. and then they have Grip Hook who yeah. knows about the horcruxes and, and the vault mm-hmm. and Harry. And I mean, like, it really doesn't matter who he talks to first, technically, but like, that's kind of his choice is like, which yeah. does he want to pursue? Mm-hmm. And so he chooses to talk to Grip Hook first. And I like that a lot. Yeah. And I really like to, even after he's decided on this course of action, he's really conflicted. And he's mm-hmm. like, did I make the right choice? Because I, he, The way he describes it or the way it's described in the book is that he had never chosen not to act before. Mm. And I think this is actually a a moment of true growth for Harry because, you know, we've complained about him literally being like presented with information. Then he's like, and then I charge, you know, presented with information and then I fight. And in this situation... He's revealed all this information, he knows it, and then he's like, I'm going to choose not to go after the Elder Wand. Yeah, because he kind of knew where it was. And he yeah. Kinda, he, he had a, they could have tried to rush to Hogwarts mm-hmm. to, like, 
get it before Voldemort. To fight Voldemort, maybe, even. Yeah, and, and, you know, Ron is kind of like, dude, are you sure we should have done that or not done that? Yeah. But, you know, it was a, it was a choice Harry made to, like, not pursue that, so. Yeah, and I think this, especially comparing it to that moment with uh, Sirius in the fifth book, Mm-hmm. When yeah, he doesn't yes. stop to think that this ploy could be fake, Sirius could maybe not be in danger, and it could just be an elaborate scheme. And in this moment, he's actually deciding to he he thinks about it and then chooses to not charge him blindly. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance there that like the movie isn't able to really delve into it no. all. But I really do like it in um in the book as well. And mm-hmm. and what you were saying before about the the Hallows being kind of a a different side of the Horcruxes, but yes. similar. Master and of Death. I felt that more reading it at this point because mm-hmm. I kind of disagreed with you before yeah. about like how I felt about the Hallows, and I'm still not a hundred percent in love with their integration into the story. But I felt them being most justified kind of at this point in the plot. Yeah, and it is basically Harry choosing not to pursue the same path that Voldemort pursued yeah just to try to conquer death and instead he is just trying to kill Voldemort (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) he's like all right just focus on killing somebody not mastering death totally one thing at a time yeah (laughs) you know I I really have to stick to my my plan my schedule yes so he talks to grip hook the goblin yeah uh good scene I really loved Warwick Davis uh who plays grip hook in the movie who also plays uh, Professor uh, Flitwick. Oh, really? As well, yes. Yeah. Wow, he plays I didn't both. notice that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's in so much prosthetic makeup. Oh, yeah. As Grip Hook, but he he's just really great in this scene. I love. Mm-hmm. He asks Harry about. I forget what he asks Harry, and he deflects and says it's complicated. And then oh, Harry yeah. asks him, "Why does Bellatrix think the sword should be in her vault?" And he says, "It's complicated." Just yeah. Right back. <laughs> but they talk, and Harry's whole theory is that there is a horcrux in bellatrix's vault in gringotts yeah and so they need to break in yeah and they need grip hook to help them break in and grip hook's price to help them is the sword of godric gryffindor and this is interesting because they need the sword to it's break, kind of important break the horcrux or kill the horcruxes and so they're kind of like all right we'll give you the sword later at an unspecified date (laughs) yeah it's very fuzzy and you know they're gonna be working with grip hook and i just i don't want to talk about this very long but i do just kind of want to touch on like the goblin thing in this story yeah and i think maybe we mentioned it before maybe not i can honestly not remember it's been so long since we have recorded some of these episodes but it feels kind of like the goblins are like maybe a little bit of like anti-Semitic tropes. I mean, yeah, there have been a lot of fairy tale creatures that have been anti-Semitic in nature. Yeah. Usually they're like, I mean, their physical characteristics mm-hmm. are like stereotypical in that way of like super exaggerated long hooked nose and kind of like spindly and mm-hmm. obviously their characteristics of like being greedy for money. Yeah. I don't know if it's always been goblins portrayed in that you know, aspect. I know, um, uh, what's the, the, the fairy tale of the girl who, uh, Oh, Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin. I know yeah. that's like a story that's like very anti-Semitic in yeah. its past, but, <laughs> uh, so it's one of those things where like, I know a lot of this stuff can probably be traced to like other fairy tales and other stories. Mm-hmm. And you know what I mean? Isn't a hundred percent like her idea. No. But she never like 
reflected on this. No, it doesn't feel like there's a pause and an acknowledgement or maybe like trying to rewrite that story at all. Like, I mean, they run a wizard bank full of gold and they're portrayed as being like very hungry for this treasure that they've made. Yeah. And it's, it is, she does add some interest here in the idea that, and Bill kind of explains this to Harry in the book that like goblins make a lot of these objects, like the sword of Godric mm-hmm. Gryffindor. And in their minds, like, yeah, even if they're paid for it and it goes to a person, after that person dies, it should revert back to the goblins because they made it and they own it. Yeah. This idea of ownership yeah. and kind of like the goblins is like a race of creatures kind of like always maintain ownership over the things that they make. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of have this like anger or frustration over wizards like passing down goblin made artifacts from like one wizard to like their children or Mm -hmm. down lines uh which is interesting and i mean like i don't know you could interpret that as being greedy but i felt like it was just kind of like unique in its own way to the story but there is like this weirdness to it and it's similar to the house self situation where like Ron is immediately like, oh, those goblins are like greedy, bloodthirsty, like misers who, you know, want nothing but gold. And Mm -hmm. Hermione's like, well, wizards have been like really terrible to goblins in the past. And Ron's like, well, goblins have been terrible to wizards in the past. Yeah. And nothing is really like settled about it. And then the interpretation of Grip Hook in the story is that he is vicious yeah and kind of thirsty bloodthirsty and kind of wants to hurt wizards if he can yeah so it's just like grip hook's the only goblin in the story that we really get to know to any degree and when that goblin is, is kind of a piece of shit is kind of shitty like it's and then op- betrays them in the end yeah it becomes a reflection of the goblins in general and i think yeah. this is furthered by the fact that when we discover the gringotts has like a dragon that they're just abusing in the dungeons. And that feels like, that feels like justification for like when a lot of them are murdered later. Yeah. Or like when that one is killed by fire fire for comedic effect. I think we're not supposed to care because like of the dragon thing. And I don't know. It just feels like a total like, eh, these aren't really people. Don't think about it too much. Yeah. I don't love that either. Yeah. Just another mishandling i think on jk rowling's part of a whole interpretation and species in this story definitely agree and then harry decides to talk to olivander yes about wand shit he's like (laughs) explain wands to me what are they who are they he's like harry you're like a senior in in your (laughs) high school he's like i don't know what is this what is this i don't learn things (laughs) i do think it's interesting though because like this does harken back to the very first movie when Ollivander's like the wand chooses the wizard. Yeah. So it's not like it's not a totally new concept thrown yeah. at us. It's been alluded to, but this idea that wands have a sentience to them. Yeah. However, it is really drilled home in this story and really piled up on. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of like when wizards duel or, you know, they get into a fight and you overpower another wizard and you kind of win their wand and you win the win the allegiance of their wand. And that kind of being a, a crucial tenant of not only the elder wand, but other wands that Harry and Hermione and Ron end up using later on. Yeah, and which is like, I mean, wands are breaking, they're losing wands, yeah, they're taking other they're people's wands. wands. It's just like 
uh, like just this one shuffle throughout like the whole story. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a very important and prominent aspect to the plot. Mm-hmm. Um. I do love the scene of just Ollivander like naming the wands, like saying their length, the wood, the core, yeah. and then like immediately knowing who they belong to. Mm-hmm. It's just great to watch. I really love it. Yeah. And then Harry asks him about the Elder Wand and, you know, we find out that he was the one to give Voldemort information about the Elder Wand under torture and that Voldemort probably has the Elder Wand right now. Yeah. Now, we've been introduced to the idea of the Elder Wand in part one. Yeah. This idea of a wand that is unbeatable. hmm However, this whole concept is so flimsy. Yeah. And I really think it could have been done better. Because on one hand, they're like, this wand is unbeatable. But on the other hand, they allude to other wizards like, lose like Grindelwald had it yeah and lost to Dumbledore yeah and they were talked about as being like pretty equal in strength yeah so like if Grindelwald had the elder wand I don't know J.K. Rowling may have made a tweet about this like ages ago (laughs) and I could be like totally corrected on this but like I'm sure she did you'd think that would make Grindelwald like I know superior in that fight because they're like it's unbeatable Mm -hmm. um but also like what does that mean does like the skill of the user have nothing involved in it yeah like how much of a buff or like (laughs) what kind of um extra experience or like you know health or power does this wand give you yeah does it immediately turn you into a a chad wizard who can just like do whatever he wants like i don't know it's super vague because on one hand they're like about what it can do i kind of feel like it could have been made it could have been simpler and more interesting if it's like Oh, there are spells that could work in theory. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. they over, but wands aren't strong enough to actually cast them. Like if you try to do a, this certain spell, it'll just yeah. break. Yeah. So there's like a whole field of magic that hasn't been able to be tapped into. But the Elder Wand theoretically could do this magic. Also, like, why is the Elder Wand better? Like, Death himself fashioned it? Like, come on. Yeah, (laughs) it's just, like, very vague about why this is, like, the wand. Yeah. It's, like, it's the best and it's unbeatable, except a lot of people have been beaten who (laughs) had the wand. So I just don't think, I think there could have been a better explanation of, like, what it is that makes it special. Let's infiltrate Gringotts. Yes. Starting <laughs> with the fantastic transformation. Yes, this is great. Of Helena Bonham Carter playing Hermione. Hermione pretending to be Bellatrix. Yes, this is so perfect. Like, I love the good morning she says <laughs> to somebody accidentally. And then she's like, I'm sorry, that was stupid. And like when she's like teetering on the heels oh my God. of her boots. The walk is so great <laughs> down like this super long corridor of Green yeah. Dots Bank. And her kind of like flustered trying to be yeah. intimidating, but not succeeding very well. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. It's fantastic. It's an excellent scene. Their plan goes to shit immediately. <laughs> it's like they didn't even think about the fact that Bellatrix would be like, my wand was stolen. You know, here's the thing, though, that doesn't ring true for me in that regard, is that, I mean, maybe Bellatrix had to come clean about that happening. Yeah. But I also don't picture Bellatrix telling everyone like hey my wand was stolen from me by an elf or like by a child in battle like that's such a <laughs> yeah like it seems like it'd be an embarrassing thing for her to admit so that's the fact true. that like a lot of people know about it felt like here's another question though 
at the end of the book and movie, she has another wand because she's dueling with Molly, right? That's true. Where does she get that? I don't know. Was that the reason that she was bested by Molly? Not saying Molly's oh, not great. Oh, interesting. I didn't think about that. Yeah, she would have been using like a foreign wand. Mm-hmm. Although she was dueling like three other people simultaneously with yeah, it beforehand. Yeah, but I no, think th- Molly is supposed to be really, really like surprisingly good at dueling. I mean, Molly probably uses more magic per minute, oh, keeping yeah. the uh, keeping the her burrow. kids in line. Yeah, keeping the kids in line, <laughs> keeping the burrow organized. Uh, yeah, so she's probably like way more. She's really quick on that draw, you know. Like she's used to Fred and George like trying to do a bunch of shit, and so she can like stop them immediately. Yes. <laughs> I do remember though being confused about this part in the film because they're like. Can we see your wand? And then she doesn't want to give them the wand. But yeah, I'm like, why she not? has Bellatrix's wand, though. And they don't yeah. really get into it. And I get in the book when they explain it, like, oh, they know it was stolen. And if you have it, that means, like, you're not her. But uh, I think in the book or in the film, it kind of, like. It doesn't work. Yeah, because I'm like, I know they have it. What's weird? What's wrong here? Yeah, they have to Imperio the goblin. In the book, they also have to Imperio this random Death Eater that is coming along with them for some reason. Yes. <laughs> um, and they go into the vaults. They're on like the roller coaster ride. Was this made just to? I mean, is there? I should look this park up. Ride? Yeah, is there a theme park ride? There has to be, right? That, I mean. I mean, it goes through a waterfall, Adina. Uh, it has to be. <laughs> like, there's, there could be an animatronic dragon. Oh, yeah. Like, like gold falling. Like I coins. mean, come on. Yeah. This has to be if it isn't. I know. I, I don't, email us if it is. Or isn't. <laughs> I, I'm going to forget by the we're time we're gonna done. We're just going to say it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, a ride at whatever Wizarding World. Universal. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think that's in the Wizarding Worlds in Universal. Yeah. Um, But yeah, they do get exposed by the waterfall, though, and kind of have to carry on Mm -hmm. as their plan is falling apart. They have to tiptoe around the poor abused dragon. Oh my god, the sad dragon. dragon. The sad dragon. I know. Hagrid would be so upset. Oh my god. But Hagrid would be so proud of them. He would be, and they do save it. But they free a dragon. I mean, they do it for their own benefit, too, but like, mutual gain. Yeah, I think Hagrid would have been like, you took your opportunity. Yes. And you also freed a creature in need. Absolutely. (laughs) They go into the the vault. The the whole um, multiplying... Treasure. Treasure is a fun idea. Yeah. In the book, though, it's also like scalding hot. I know, it's like burning them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, they... Harry gets the cup, and then this is the moment where Griphook betrays them and takes off with the sword. And they're only able to escape because they free the dragon, and the dragon breathes fire on that poor, unfortunate goblin in the movie. And I do love the movie scene where it's just that quiet bank hall, and then the dragon, like, comes up. (laughs) Yeah. That is pretty good. Yeah, and also, it's, like, difficulty taking off. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like... Uh, scraping the, along the roofs. Yeah, the roofs. That, yeah. Was a, that was a nice detail that I really liked too. And also just like the design of it being so pale. Yeah. Uh, was really smart too. Just a, a really good scene, a fun escape scene. I just love the whole Gringotts thing, you know? Yeah. The mine carts through the waterfall, the treasure room, the dragon. I feel like all the effects in the movie are done really well. Oh my God. The effects are just, and like the color grading and everything is all, like, I don't know. They just look so great these films like all of them look phenomenal Mm -hmm. as they jump off the dragon into the water in the movie anyway harry starts getting flashes of voldemort yes and he also gets them 
in the book as well. And it's a little bit different depending on the version. So in the book, Voldemort knows that they broke into Gringotts and so knows what Harry was looking for, which makes him realize that Harry is trying to find and probably destroy his Horcruxes. And this is the first time that he's realized that Harry has been trying to destroy the Horcruxes. Yeah, this is a big revelation. In the movie, though, Voldemort is able to feel every time a Horcrux is destroyed. Yes. In the book, he doesn't feel it at all. He has no idea. And neither does Harry. Yeah. They both they both have this feeling towards it. And, you know, I actually like this addition in the film. Mm-hmm. This this stronger connection they have yeah. to the Horcruxes. I mean, first of all, it's more dramatic. Like, seeing them, like, <gasps> like when one is, like, stabbed or destroyed or something. Like, it just makes yeah. it. But also, to me, it makes a little bit more sense as to why... Dumbledore would have given Harry this task to begin with. Yeah. Like, and, and it, it makes it, it makes functional sense in the film because Harry doesn't know about the cup yeah. or like the diadem or like other things or in the film he doesn't know about those. So it's more like he kind of has to like sensory find them by yeah. his like connection to them. Mm-hmm. But I also think it makes sense why Dumbledore would have given him this task is like, Oh, not only does he have a connection to Voldemort, but he has a connection to the Horcruxes. So he can find them. Yeah, so he's like better equipped to actually find them. On the other hand, though, as soon as Dumbledore, I always confuse Dumbledore and Voldemort. I don't know why. (laughs) It's the syllables. It's the syllable thing. Anyway, as soon as Voldemort realizes, though, that Harry is hunting his Horcruxes, he's instantly on alert and is going to check all his other ones. Yes. So, but like in the movies, he's not concerned about that. Like, he's not going to check the other Horcruxes that he's set about. Whereas in the book, as soon as Voldemort realizes this, he's like, okay, now I have to go and make sure all the other ones are fine. So that puts Harry on a time limit to find the other ones. He's like, we have to go to Hogwarts now Mm -hmm. because if we don't, he's going to go get his Horcrux and put it somewhere safer. See, if, if, you know, they were muggles, they could have just slapped a little uh, wireless Wi-Fi security cam just on each each horcrux he could just like pull up his phone pull up an app like look at them he's like yeah it's supposed to be the 90s they're all there oh it is the 90s i always forget this is like the 90s (laughs) the 90s yeah (laughs) conveniently it's the 90s convenient okay so scratch all that it's it's the 90s (laughs) um but Voldemort is suddenly like backtracking and like trying to like Mm -hmm. make sure check on all his babies make sure they're okay yeah i do want to mention in the movie we see that grip hook is killed by voldemort yes and that the sword disappears in the book we have no idea no why the sword just reappears later on was grip hook like sitting with it and like polishing it yeah oh yeah this is so great and then it just disappears he's like god damn it (laughs) (laughs) um i do want to say though in in the film after they jump off the dragon and yeah. they swim back to shore, a couple things. One, I always remembered in the film, Hermione takes something out of her bag and gives it to them, and they all like rub it on their oh, hands. Oh yeah. So I think this hand is hand sanitizer. Yeah, I was like, is, like what, is this like magic hand sanitizer? It's like dragons are filthy. You really have to put some of this on your hands. I think it's the essence of Dittany okay. that they use in the books, but like they use that in the books because they got burned. Yeah. But here it's like, I don't know. Hand sanitizer? Like, <laughs> it really has no explanation. Yeah. But I always remembered it. I'm They're like, worried about the dragon flu. Ian. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, additionally, though, I, I just have a fondness for this moment in the film as Harry and Ron are like stripping off their clothes, their wet clothes to get changed. Yeah. And we just see their super pale, skinny or like slightly flabby bodies and physiques. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, representation for like (laughs) how 95% of dudes look. (laughs) Because I maybe... This isn't true, but I feel like if this movie came out now, they would insist that, like, Harry and Ron be, like, a little more in shape, you know? Yeah, A yeah. little bit more pectoral more definition. More like, teen heartthrob. Yeah, because I feel like even in movies where it doesn't matter at all, like, every <laughs> dude is, like, really cut. Yeah. And so I just, like, have a, an appreciation for this moment and, like, ugh. My, my people. I can appreciate that, too. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not even embarrassed. They're just like, yeah, I'll show you my pasty white, unmuscled body. Yeah. <laughs> There's no sunshine here. <laughs> uh, so after this moment, though... When they know there's a horcrux in the school and Voldemort's checking on them. Yeah. Like, we have to get to the school. We have to find this one, even though we don't know what it is. And mm-hmm. we have to go now. They go to Hogsmeade, set off a bunch of alarms. But luckily, someone um, ushers them to safety. And it's actually Dumbledore's brother, Aberforth. Who is the owner of the Hogshead yeah. bar. And I've like, never known. Yeah. Wouldn't this be like common knowledge? Like, it, oh, Dumbledore's brother. Yeah. Like, first of all... Dumbledore, one of the greatest wizards of all time, his brother just owns a shitty bar. Like, and nothing, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you'd think people would, like, know about that yeah. and it would be, like, be talked like, oh, about. Oh, did you know that the owner yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be, like, a fun fact that all first years would find out at, like, school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't seem like he's, like, hiding it or keeping it a secret no, or anything. So no. it's kind of weird that, like, nobody ever made this connection or talked about it. Yeah. And Aberforth has the mirror that Harry's been looking into, which in the movies, we've had no explanation as to why Harry is looking in this mirror Not shard. Not one iota. And then in this movie, they're like, oh, it belonged to Sirius, and Dumbledore told me to look after it for you. And... It's like, wait, what? I'm that like, was, that still doesn't answer that anything. That was never in the movies. In the book, we do know that it's a shard of Sirius's mirror that was supposed to be like a two-way mirror. But it's still kind of flimsy. I don't a- know Adina, if I love it. Even if they had just changed one line to Harry saying, you're the one who sent me this piece of mirror. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I know yeah. it wouldn't like totally make sense necessarily, but at least you would understand Okay, yeah. like Harry was sent this and he maybe didn't know what it was and has been like looking at it. Like it would just kind of like be a very simple explanation. I agree. But Aberforth ends up talking to them and kind of telling them a lot of the background about Dumbledore's history. And in the movie, we have really only like snippets, kind of hints about this. In the book, it's in a lot of detail about the mysterious nature of Dumbledore's sister's death and Aberforth kind of tells the story about how Ariana their sister was physically or possibly sexually abused by some muggles when she was a very small child it's super vague it's very vague and it ends up kind of doing something to her mentally and emotionally where her magic is somewhat turned inward. And this actually reminds me of the Obscurus in Fantastic Beasts. It's the same. I wonder if this is like 
the jumping off point for that yeah, movie. Yeah. yeah. I agree because her magic is uncontrollable and it is kind of turned inward against herself and she accidentally kills their mother because mm-hmm. of it. And then when their mother dies, Dumbledore kind of has to take over for the family and ends up, you know, falling in with Grindelwald. They're both obsessed with the Deathly Hallows. And then there's this scene where Grindelwald ends up using the Cruciatus curse on Dumbledore's brother. And Ariana gets in the middle of it, curses are flying, and she is killed. And this is like this moment, I think, of regret for Dumbledore. And Harry chooses in this moment, too, to believe in Dumbledore. Aberforth clearly is still has a lot of resentment toward his brother yeah. from this incident and kind of is saying to Harry, like, he gave you this huge job. Like, why should you trust him? He always kept these secrets. And I do like getting to find out in the book kind of the history of this. I do, too. And finding out the real reason of Ariana's death and, like, the just trauma that Dumbledore and his brother dealt with in their family. Well, and the idea that Dumbledore is human. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though He was he, tempted. Yeah, even though he seems so, like, kind of perfect and unflappable, like, as we've known him in the stories, that he, like, was once a young man with, like, grand ambitions and yeah. misguided ideals, mm-hmm. you know? And, and finding out that, like, this traumatic event is probably, like, what steered him back into the man that, like, we know in the stories. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's very effective and it's very sad. I really love, even in the film, like, the film can't get into, like, this kind of backstory, but, you know, Aberforth challenges Harry about why he's doing this, and Harry says, I trust Dumbledore, and he says, that's a boy's answer. Mm-hmm. I love that response. Yeah. Because kind of going back to that idea of, like, Harry idolizing these figures in his life, like his father and Dumbledore, who were really flawed people. Mm -hmm. And Aberforth kind of being like... You need to recognize. Yes. Yeah, the truth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I really liked that line. I don't love, though, that we just... It just seems like Aberforth is angsty towards his brother in the movie. Oh, yeah. I get why the movie trimmed this part down, slash... I think it should have just eliminated it completely. Yeah. I get why it didn't want to go too deep into it because it's like, okay, we're finding out the backstory of a character who is dead and yeah. it ultimately doesn't like really Affect the story. No, yeah. So I get not wanting to like delve into it or spend a lot of time with it. But I'm also like, well, what we do get is like scraps and like you don't get anything. It doesn't from really it. create a full picture at the end. No. Yeah. So I don't think I don't know how it would have been done better, but I don't think this was the best handling of it. Yeah, but Ariana's portrait goes to fetch somebody. And guess what? It's one of our favorite characters. It's Neville. Neville's back. Oh, my God. Neville, can we just take a moment and appreciate Neville mm. in this in this scene? Neville looks like shit. <laughs> He's been tortured by the Death Eaters that are running the school. He has been, with the help of Luna and Ginny... Yes. ...standing up to the Death Eaters at the school, protecting the first years, creating a culture of resistance and bravery in the school and setting an example. And I love how Neville says to Harry, like, I remember when you would um, stand up for yourself and for other people with Umbridge and with Snape and how it always, like, inspired me and it helped other people be able to resist and still have hope. And I wanted to do the same thing. Oh, God. Neville is just 
so great and, and and just like finding out what he's been doing at Hogwarts, how he's been like resisting, yeah. inspiring others, obviously dealing with like a lot of like physical abuse and emotional, but like taking it in such stride. Yeah. And, and it's so great too to see him flourish in this way yeah maybe without harry at school yeah you know he he like harry just took up so much yes he took up so much of the focus that now neville's like it's my time baby yeah my time to shine (laughs) but like we talked about in the fifth story like he had some growth but then it also still felt like he was depicted as kind of being like bumbling still and neville kind of incompetent mm-hmm. and it was like frustrating to yeah. see that yeah so i really loved uh in book and movie to see him flourish so much and i just want to read a part from the book because it's seriously my favorite so when he was resisting they decided to try to kidnap uh neville's grandmother neville says the thing was he faced them and harry was astonished to see that he was grinning they bit off a bit more than they could chew with gran Little old witch living alone. They probably thought they didn't need to send anyone particularly powerful. Anyway, Neville laughed. Dawlish is still in St. Mungo's and Grand's on the run. She sent me a letter. He clapped a hand to the breast pocket of his robes, telling me she was proud of me, that I'm my parents' son, and to keep it up. I love this for Neville and for his grandmother. Yeah, it's so great. Just... Yeah, I, I love the inclusion of his grandmother, like, being a badass and also going on the run. And additionally, uh, just her being so proud of Neville. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just Neville. And and it's worth mentioning, too, that, like, even though Neville had a lot of help from Ginny and Luna yeah. early on. I think They're gone now. They're gone, yeah, because Luna got kidnapped and Ginny, I think, stayed home after the holidays. Yeah. So then it was only Neville. Yeah. But he still held the fort down and was literally his life was threatened. Yeah. So he went into hiding in the room of requirements. And his grandma is now on the run. <laughs> yeah. I know it's great. But they he takes them to the room of requirement, which is like kind of the hideout for Hogwarts student at students at this point. And everybody's so excited to see Harry. And they're like, you've come here to fight, right? You've come here to help us like break free of the Death Eaters. And this is a moment where Harry's kind of like, well, not really, but then it turns into a situation where it doesn't go according to plan. But then they're like, oh, we just already sent out the mass email. Yeah, we already like sent everyone a text to like be here, be square. So (laughs) (laughs) you sure you don't want to like totally overthrow Snape right now? Maybe if you have time. Do it. Do it. (laughs) Uh, So in the book, Harry kind of vaguely tells them the mission of trying to find, he's assumed that Voldemort made the lost diadem of Ravenclaw, the Horcrux, and so that's what they're looking for. He and Luna go up in the book to the Ravenclaw Tower. tower to try to look for clues. This leads to a chain reaction of them being discovered, Mm -hmm. Voldemort being called, and then McGonagall being clued into the fact that Harry's now in the school. Yeah. And thusly, McGonagall, along with Flitwick and Madame Pomfrey, mm-hmm. end up in a confrontation with Snape yeah. in a duel. Yeah. And it's so fucking cool. It's awesome. They're like turning their wand fire into various creatures. Uh, it's very much like the the duel that Dumbledore has with Voldemort. Yeah. Where it's very flashy. There's a lot of like interesting, cool things going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, Snape turns himself into a bat and... Uh, 
tucks right off. <laughs> just leaps straight out. I love it. He leaps out the window and Harry's like, he's dead. They're like, no, he no, can fly. He can fly or some Ugh. shit. I don't know. <laughs> the the book is a little bit different where all the students are like assembled in the Great Hall. You mean the movie. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The movie is different. Uh, Snape assembles everyone in the Great Hall and is, is speaking very slowly as he always does. Oh, my God. He Equally you will be held guilty. Equally. <laughs> Just once again, Alan I Rickman know. nailing how long he can drag out a single word for. I know, it's amazing. Uh, this leads to Harry's moment where it's revealed that he was just like standing with the <laughs> All Gryffindors the other students? or the other students, which like, I mean, I think plays out well in the film. You know what I mean? It's kind of this like dramatic yeah. moment. But when you, like, think about it for two seconds, you're like, I mean, first of all, he has an invisibility cloak. He just could have, like, used that that (laughs) instead of, like, what if he was just caught walking with the rest of the students? Like, someone's like, is that Harry Potter? I mean, we have no evidence that he didn't have the invisibility cloak on. But he was wearing the robes. He, like, had put the robes, the school robes on. (laughs) Like, I think the implication was he just kind of marched in with, like, everyone else just for this one moment. But yeah. uh, it plays well. And this also leads to McGonagall defending Harry and mm-hmm. getting in the similar duel. But this duel is just a lot of, like, whiz-bang Bangs. flashes. It's it's not nearly as interesting. What I do love, though, is after this, McGonagall taking charge of the school and, you know, ordering all the professors to defend the school. She mm-hmm. gets all the um, statues to defend yes. them. It's so cool in that scene. And in the book, she evacuates the students. Yeah. So she gets them out of the school through that portrait tunnel in Aberforth's house, pub, whatever. Um, all the students that are of age, so they'd be in seventh year, are allowed to stay and fight if they so choose. In the movie, the students are not evacuated and also the Slytherins are taken to the dungeon, which I think is not great because they should be evacuated their children. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a one, because one girl yelled I know, out. Like, fucking pansy. She's like, all right, all the Slytherins. Like, I think in the book, it was a better balance if she tells the Slytherins, like, if you want to stay and fight, OK, but if you're going to try to, like, fuck us over go yeah. like get out get out now because we'll shoot to kill yeah is that y- yes i <laughs> yeah. love that is instead of just being like all the slytherins in the dungeon because we all know the slytherins suck everyone hates you <laughs> you've always been the least liked house yeah uh so yeah this is uh the beginning of the battle of hogwarts the battle of hogwarts harry though is seeking that lost diadem. That diadem, though. Ian. That diadem, though. <laughs> In the movie, Luna is the one who's like, you should um, find somebody dead. I really love that Luna contributed that. Yeah. Uh, so Harry seeks out the ghost of Ravenclaw Tower, mm-hmm. the Grey Lady. Yeah. Very sad history there. Yes. Not great. She's just like. My mother. And meanwhile, Harry's like, oh, my God, everyone's fighting right now. Please just like. Can you just hurry this up and tell me where the diadem is? But he's got to be like really nice and like. Yeah. He's like, okay. She's like, he defiled it. (laughs) He's like, cool, cool. Yeah, no, that's bad. Where is it, though? Where where is it, though? Could you tell me? Like, (laughs) uh, she eventually gives him. I like the cryptic clue in the film that I don't think was in the 
book. Yeah. If you have to ask, you'll never find it. If you know, you need only ask. Yeah. Was cool. It's good. And Harry understands to be the room of requirements. Mm -hmm. So he takes off for there. But meanwhile. Meanwhile, Hermione and Ron are like, we need a way to destroy these Horcruxes. Good thinking. Ron's idea. They go into the Chamber of Secrets. I, I gotta say, like, I did not love that this was this happened off the page in the book. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? This book is like 760 pages and you can't have a scene with Hermione and Ron kind of getting like some moments alone together. This is a good moment for Ron because he has an idea. This is a good moment for Hermione because she's the one that actually destroys this Horcrux, but we don't see it. Like we see Ron destroy Horcrux and it's supposed to be like a good character moment for him, but we don't see Hermione destroy one. Absolutely. I completely agree. (laughs) And this kind of touches on something that is interesting in the Harry Potter series as a whole, but I think is like most prominent in this book, which is just the limited, the limitations of the focal point of Harry. Yeah, like the limited third person. Yes. Uh, Except for like early chapters in the books that like yeah. maybe show Snape or just Voldemort or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the it, the rest of the story is all Harry. And that leads to like some weird moments like this where like yeah. suddenly Ron and Hermione show up. They're like, hey, we had this idea. We went to the Chamber of Secrets. We got a fang. Hermione killed the snake. Yeah. Or killed the cup <laughs> with the fang from the snake. You and- know. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, so like things happen off screen. Yeah. Quote unquote. Or like weirdly encounters situations that he's like viewing. Like in part of the very final aspect of this battle, he's just underneath his invisibility cloak. Watching Watching things happen. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this like I get it. But also it just makes him seem like a big fucking coward right now. Yeah. It's a really funny moment, though, when Ron is like, Harry talks in his sleep and like does the parcel tongue thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, this is the scene where Ron and Hermione share their first kiss in the movie. In the book, the scene where this happens is when Ron decides to give a fuck about the house elves and is like, we should evacuate them, too. And then Hermione's like, oh, you do care. Let me give you a big kiss. Right, <laughs> once again, right in front of Harry. Yeah. Because Harry has to see it. Harry in has order to see it in order reader. for us to know that yeah. it happened. Which yeah. just comes across if, as weird. If Harry doesn't see it, does it really happen, Ian? <laughs> <laughs> These and more philosophical questions from cover to credits. I do like in the movie, too, that in addition to the Ron and Hermione scene, we also see like other characters kind of preparing for battle. We get a little moment with Fred and George. We get Remus and Tonks. We get Neville setting up like kind of this explosive, explosive bridge scene. And then we see it exploding later and it's really fun. Yeah, you get just like some breaks and you kind of get to view different things. And it's like not very often that they do this, but like it does feel very natural and is very when you compare it to the book. Yeah, their scopes and their way of viewing events it's very helpful to be able to break away from Harry for like five seconds. I agree. So Harry heads for the Room of Requirements. Uh, In the book, he goes there with Ron and Hermione. In Mm -hmm. the film, he meets them there. Yeah. Once again, Ron uh, knows where to go because he remembers something that Hermione said like a year ago. And Hermione is like deeply impressed that like Ron listens to her. This is Ron's redemption story. (laughs) Ron, remembering basic facts that Hermione had... Come up with originally. Yeah, already. Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, Good job. Yes. So (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say I love the design of the room of requirements. Like I think the room of requirement. Is it just a requirement? Yeah. It's not requirements. No, just one requirement. Oh, no. (laughs) I guess that makes sense. It's only like one thing at a time. Yeah. The room of requirements. (laughs) um, I love the design of it, especially. And we didn't look for this, but apparently in the film, there are just tons of props and things from previous films. I would love to just like pause the movie and try to pick out. I mean, we see like. Among the debris. Yeah. I mean, we see like the Cornish Pixies, but those are like a CGI edition. Like physical props. Like I hear like one of the chess pieces from like the first movies there. Uh Uh-huh. Things like that. So it'd be so fun to just like pause and look. Yeah. And he finds the diadem, but he's intercepted by Draco and Crab and Goyle in the book. And in the movie, it's Draco, Zabini, and Goyle. I really like we get a moment in the film where Harry asks Malfoy, like, why didn't you out me to Bellatrix before? Yeah. Like, you knew it was me. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like... Re-es- Adding ambiguity to yeah, his character. Yeah, reestablishing that, like, his uncertainty with, like, the way things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... Uh, all hell breaks loose. Ron and Hermione find them. A fight breaks out. And what's his name? Either Crab or Goyle, depending on the virgin, starts just shooting off his wand with fire. Fiend fire, which is a thing, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So fun fact, if you're like, I recognize Goyle, but where's Crab in the film? Yeah. I forget the character they replace him with. Zabini. Zabini. Yeah, thank you. Um, If you're like, what happened to Crab? Well... In real life, the actor who played Crab faced some legal issues when he was caught just growing weed, I guess, like in his mom's apartment. Yeah. And in in possession of a knife. That's like the summary I read. Uh, possession of weed and possession of a knife. And he got like six weeks in some juvenile detention yeah. center or something like that. And that was enough for them to be like, OK, you're out of the movie. Yeah, and I just got to say, like, growing weed? Come on. I know. Seriously. Like, seriously? Like, at this point, like, I don't even care what the amount was. No. Like, who cares? If it was in an apartment, it wasn't that much. Yeah. Uh, But it's just, like, really unfortunate. And he's had, like, other issues with the law since then. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure this didn't, like, help his future was being kicked off this movie for that reason. No, it's kind of shitty. It is. It really sucks. But, like, that's the reason Crab isn't here. Because in the book, it's Crab who does the fiend fire. In the film, it's Goyle. Yeah. And whoever casts the fire ends up being the one that dies. Yes. Harry, Ron, and Hermione get on brooms. Um, They end up rescuing Draco and Zabini or Draco and Goyle. And getting the fuck out of there and destroying the diadem. But Crab in the book and Goyle in the movie succumbs to the fire and dies. Unfortunately, um, not everyone is able to make it out in this case, but it is a really exciting scene. I love the effects in the film. There's like no music for a lot of it. A lot of this chase scene as it's going on uh, in the film, which I really like. And just the the fire effects are cool. The huge Mm -hmm. room of requirements and things being engulfed in flames. Yeah. It's solid. It's a good scene. Let's take a break from the action. And I just want to discuss the outfits in the movie, Ian. Yeah, I'm really uh, curious. You know, I was watching the film and I'm like, you know what? I think the outfits for the trio are really solid. I think so, too. Like, I really like them. Um, 
I particularly love Hermione's look. Like hers is my favorite. The denim jacket with the pink hoodie. Yes. So yeah. she's got she's got that pink hoodie underneath, but like the jean jacket, and then she's got like this messy braid, mm-hmm. mm, and and she just looks gorgeous. <laughs> like she is perfect. This is the look I want her in all the time. Ron is wearing a flannel jacket. Yes. And underneath it, he has a striped sweater, mm-hmm. which I think is very like calling back to like all the striped sweaters of like the Weasleys. Yeah. You know, it feels very Weasley and like the flannel jacket, I think, is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then Harry has a corduroy jacket. I love Harry's corduroy jacket. Which I love the look. And then underneath is like a light fleece. Mm, yeah, it is. I, I couldn't remember what was underneath it. Yeah, they're all dressed very warmly, which makes sense. But I, I love the look, the layered look. I do, too. And this is something the movies have always like, you know, they certainly went away from in like after the first two movies, the robes. The robes yeah, they're like, OK, they can wear other things. Yeah. Besides the robes. And it's funny because like I don't picture in the books them wearing robes. No. Still, but in the cover of the book. Which is Harry yeah. in the final moments catching the Elder Wand. He's in a fucking robe. Yeah. And so, in the book, they talk about him hiding things underneath his robes. I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I, it, it, like, I don't even uh, process that, probably, because they just talk about their robes so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's a much better choice, I think, to just put them in, like, regular regular clothes. Regular clothes. Yeah. But yeah. I do like their looks. Now that we've discussed the outfits, let's talk about all the people that are dead. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> Harry, Ron, and Hermione, after they have escaped the Room of Requirement and they are seeking Voldemort and the snake now, because the snake is the last Horcrux, they're running through. The battle is raging. Um, I love just kind of like the chaos of it explained in, in the book and seen in the movie. Yeah, the book is a lot more, it's a lot sillier in ways. Like, it's yeah. still serious, but like uh, Madame Trelawney is like throwing crystal balls and people and like Neville is like using plants like that's his power yeah he's like using different types of plants to like (laughs) attack people and like it's there's a lot more callbacks and like things going on with that yeah um the movie though is certainly not without its denseness of like characters and moments and Mm -hmm. like creatures I think the vibe of this because they're heading towards the place they know Voldemort's at yeah they only have the snake to kill now Mm -hmm. so and they know the snake is with Voldemort and in the book he's in the shrieking shack in Mm -hmm. the film he's in like a boathouse that we've never known (laughs) until this moment (laughs) Uh, but they're trying to get there and so it's this really I don't know I think this I think book and movie do a great job of kind of like this desperate final like yeah yeah like they're just racing through this fucking battle Mm -hmm. and just trying to like get to the last thing that they need to do and they want to help the others but they know that they have to do this one thing yeah Mm -hmm. uh the film i mean the special effects the energy of the scene uh you have dementors and uh giant spiders and giants Mm -hmm. and it's all super well done and you get like so many different character cameos in the books that they like pass or interact with Mm -hmm. uh it's really great and unfortunately we see that fred has died and we also see that tonks and lupin have died and we also see that colin creevy has died oh my god i'm like how could you kill colin (laughs) you give us colin in like the second book 
Never talk about him again. And then you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, he's dead. By the way, he died. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to mention, so in the book and movie, Lavender Brown is attacked by Greyback, right? Yes. In the movie, she's dead. Yes, but in the in book. In the book, she's feebly stirring, so she's alive. She's probably alive, yes. Yeah. I have to say, out of all the deaths, I just... Fred dying. They should have killed Percy, Ian. They should have killed Percy. Well, I <laughs> no wonder, one gives a fuck about Percy. I wonder if it was like an intentional misdirect. Yeah. Because like Percy in the book is there yeah. with Fred fighting. Yeah. He's and like it, come to make up for his stupidity. And I almost do admire J.K. Rowling not going through that narrative. Yeah. Of like, oh, the 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 son redeeming himself and then dying in the act because it feels like it's going that way with like Percy fighting but then it's Fred who dies and like no I think this one hurts so much because it's like who is George without Fred I know like it feels like a twofer they're business partners Ian they're what about their business oh my god I know (laughs) and we've talked about how much we've loved them as side characters because they have so much like character and knowledge and they're so well-rounded even though we hardly get any of them in the books i want more of them (laughs) they should have been the main characters (laughs) and then they fucking and then jk rowling kills fred come on i know i'm like the most angry about like kill kill bill okay kill kill bill Bill. yeah take a note from quentin tarantino yeah or, or Percy, yeah. or, like, anyone else. Or Ron. Yeah, and I mean, you could say, or Ron, honestly. <laughs> okay, for real, though. They could have killed Ron. They, they could have killed Ron, and I would have felt... I, w- I wouldn't have felt as sad about it, to Hermione be honest. Hermione could have married Victor. She would have been very happy. <laughs> the man who maybe deserves her more. God, we're going to lose so many listeners right now. <laughs> I don't actually want Ron to die, but I don't no. want Fred to die either, okay? Fred feels more... Because I feel like you're killing two people. Cause, I know. Like, you can't even imagine who George is without Fred. I know. And it's just devastating. It's dumb. And I mean, I also feel sad for Lupin and Tonks. Yeah. I don't know about both of them dying, though. I know. It's kind of cheap, right? It feels like forced a little bit. Yeah. That they both died. It's very Harry Potter. Yeah, like they're trying to (laughs) re- like, and I think other things later in the story are like echoing. Yeah. Like, oh, this thing kind of happening again or like Mm -hmm. this recurring and and this feels like trying too hard to do that. Like, oh, now we have another orphan child. Mm -hmm. A lot of of sad deaths though. And actually he thinks Hagrid is dead for a while too in, (laughs) in the book. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But someone else is about to die. It's Snape. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Not Snape. Yeah, Voldemort's like, listen, you killed Dumbledore. The wand is responding to you, so I have to kill you. So the wand responds to me. Blah, blah, blah. He kills Snape. I, I think it's funny because he's like, you've been a good and loyal servant, Severus. Yeah. So to reward you. I'm going to fucking murder I'm gonna, you. I'm going to kill you. In a slow and painful way. <laughs> Instead of just like the spell that, that will just could... immediately kill you, I'm gonna feed you to my snake instead. Yeah, I mean, for the plot, but yeah. I, I... I know, yeah. Well, and additionally, too, if I'm Voldemort and like this whole who owns the wand thing is like super important, yeah. I'm not taking any chances by like 
having my snake kill you. Yeah, like I want to kill you myself. What if Nagini becomes like the <laughs> the owner of the Elder Wand? Oh my god. <laughs> she doesn't have arms or hands. I mean, who's to say? I don't know how any of this works. <laughs> obviously, obviously Voldemort doesn't either. I just wouldn't take the risk. No, I just want Nagini to now have the Elder Wand. <laughs> 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 like at the very uh god yeah no, no, i i like that um alternate what if reality as well yeah <laughs> but uh harry does get to snape before he dies and is able to take his memories and we get this really uncomfortable and sad scene of snape dying and wanting to look deeply into harry's eyes as he dies <laughs> and harry's like i don't know why you are doing this Talking about the movie specifically, though, I love the way the murder scene happens. I love, like, the other side of the wall, and you just yeah. hear these kind of violent strikes against the wall. Yeah. Like, it's it's gruesome, but, like, not visually so, and yeah. I think that was well done. Secondly, Alan Rickman in his death scene is so good. I know. Um, I love the addition to, like, in the book the fluid that becomes the memories yeah. is just like pouring out of him. Yeah. He's like, like sweating. He's like, take it. <laughs> and I'm like, Ugh. but I love in the film that it's just like his tears and yeah. the idea that like that can act in the same way. Mm-hmm. And like just Rickman's performance of when he says to take them yeah. as he's dying. And I love too, that Harry's like trying to stop the bleeding. Yeah. Like he kind of hesitates for a moment, but then, tries to help him. Yeah, he cares. Even though he thinks that Snape is the one that killed Dumbledore, you know, he's like, still feels the need to help him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's just a really well done scene. And kind of, you know, if you're talking from the perspective of someone who hasn't seen yeah. or read the books beforehand, that moment where he says you have your mother's eyes, kind mm-hmm. of like the ambiguity of that moment of you're like, like, oh shit. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, this transitions to Harry viewing the memories in the Pensieve, and he finds out the history between Snape and Lily, his mother, that they were childhood best friends, that they were still really good friends, even when they went to Hogwarts together. Yeah. And then Snape's kind of infatuation with the Death Eaters and dark magic ended up causing a rift between them. We get kind of like a callback to a scene that Harry witnessed previously in the books where Snape called his mother Mudblood. And yes. this causes like the rift between them that is never fully healed, I think. Mm-hmm. And then we find out that Snape, once he finds out that Voldemort is going to kill Harry and his family, comes to Dumbledore and is like, help me help them. Yeah. Uh, And so this is where Snape crosses sides and becomes like the double agent. Yeah. For Dumbledore Mm -hmm. uh, against Voldemort. Yeah. And we find out a little bit more. We find out that Dumbledore was actually dying. Yeah. Uh, The curse on the ring. Yeah. During the events of the sixth book, his blackened hand was a curse Mm -hmm. that was going to kill him. And he actually wanted Snape to kill him. So Draco wouldn't have to. So Draco wouldn't have to. And so that Voldemort would like fully trust Snape. Yeah. And like, you know, believe him no matter what, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then Dumbledore also reveals to Snape that Harry is the final Horcrux. That Voldemort accidentally created a Horcrux in Harry that night in Godric's Hollow. 
and that Harry must be killed by Voldemort specifically for Voldemort to be able to die. It's a lot of information. Yeah. I especially love just in the film, the moment that Harry pulls out of the pensive. Yeah. His expression, the acting in it is so good. He's just like, there's a moment where he kind of is like almost startled by mm-hmm. nothing. Like he's just kind of like freaked shaken. out. Yeah. And shaken by what he's seen. Mm-hmm. And I think it really captures the impact of this moment. Let's talk about Snape, though, because Snape is a really complicated character. Yeah. And I think public opinion on Snape has like really wildly changed over the years. I totally agree. So like when the movies and the books kind of first came out, there was like a lot of Snape love. Like people were getting tattoos of the word always, you know, like people were obsessed with this because, you know, he had this deep love for Lily that you know, existed, you know, long after their friendship died and even after she chose someone else and then even after her own death that he still continued to help Harry in her memory. Yeah. And then people found out what an incel is. (laughs) (laughs) And suddenly people are like, wait, oh, (laughs) and I think the concept of this story and this narrative kind of like you said began to shift yeah and then people were like oh yeah snape was like a piece of shit to harry like the whole time the whole time and not just to harry but like to hermione as well like we talked about how he was very misogynistic in certain mm-hmm. point portions of the book i mean you have alan Rickin- rickman's performance which is really hard to separate from snape yeah, and, and rickman's i mean both his performance and i think the writing for the films pulled back a lot on the shittiness. Yeah. Like, he was more just kind of, like, ugh, like, annoyed with Harry the whole time. And, like, yeah. would sometimes call him out. In the books, though, he just goes hard. Mm-hmm. And, like, is really a huge piece of shit to Harry. Yeah. I think Snape is a really interesting character. I agree. Like, his love for Lily, whether it's, like, healthy or not healthy, mm-hmm. it's not healthy. <laughs> but that leading him... And, like, Harry embodying this, you know, the combination of, you know, this woman he loved and the man that he hated that she chose Mm -hmm. to be with and that Harry, like, resembles his dad in a lot of ways and that, like, Snape sees the worst qualities of Harry that were most... His father Embodied by his father. Um, So this, like... And the fact that, like, Snape never really... Claims to have, like, deeply cared for Harry in any way. No. Like, it's very clear that, like, I only ever liked your mom. Yeah. I wanted to fuck your mom. I don't care about you. Uh, Like, you know, it never tries to, like, do anything other than that. Mm -hmm. However, like, despite the character being interesting, J.K. Rowling does romanticize it to a degree, I think. I think it does, especially with Harry naming his son after um, Snape. But I do think it's worth noting that despite Snape's like maybe unhealthy obsession with Lily, it never seemed that he pursued her when she rejected him. No, that's true. Like, you know, she was like, we're done. You called me a mudblood. You're following the dark arts. And it doesn't seem like they ever had any type of relationship following those events, which was probably in her fifth year, maybe, of school. And... It was only when he knew that she was going to die that he did something about it. So, like, we don't really have any evidence of him being, like, a toxic person towards her. That maybe he loved her 
and just kind of like let that go, which is like not healthy, but it's also not like an actual incel. You know what no, I mean? No, no, he wasn't like stalking and harassing yeah. her and like doing like a bunch of creepy so things. I feel like Snape is very a very great character. I don't think he should be idolized, but I also don't think that he is a villain either. I think he's complicated. Yeah, I totally agree. And if it weren't for like Harry at the end being like, we named you Severus after one of the... And I mean, to be fair, he says he was a brave man. Yeah. Which he was. He was. Like, I mean, he did a lot of good for, like, the resistance against Voldemort, Mm -hmm. among other things. Yeah. But it still feels... I mean, between that and the always moment... Yeah. And I think the film also plays into this idea as well, that Mm -hmm. it was, like, romantic or, like, noble. But, like, that's only if you completely ignore his really abusive behavior towards Harry. Like you And just children in general. <laughs> and children as a whole. But like you loved this woman, but like you shit on her son and yeah. just like ridiculed him and like basically did everything you could to like Hurt slow him. his progress in school. And yeah, it just um I don't know. If I was Harry, I wouldn't be too quick to like forget all that shit. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it, I, I agree with you, I think, where I'm like kind of in the middle of both perspectives. Definitely. After Harry realizes that he's got to die, <laughs> is this really tough on him? And in the book, he can't face anyone and decides to face Voldemort alone. So he puts on his invis- invisibility cloak, goes into the forest to confront Voldemort and doesn't say goodbye to anybody. No, he briefly talks to Neville on his way out. Mm-hmm. He kind of gives him, like, the information that... You gotta kill the snake. Gotta kill the snake. And Neville's like, what? He's like, just trust me. <laughs> uh, but in the film, I really appreciate we get a moment where Harry's leaving and he gets to talk to Ron and Hermione and say yeah. goodbye, kind of. Mm-hmm. And he gets to also fill them in about the fact, like, I'm a horcrux and I think you've known. Yeah. And Ro- Hermione, like, wants to go with him. Mm-hmm. But he's like, no. And he's like, kill the snake. Yeah. And I love this, that, like, Harry's facing his death. Yeah. But he's still like, you got to do this thing. Yeah. You know, what I, like, he's still caring about everyone. Like, mm-hmm. he has every right to be like, fuck it. If I have to die, okay. But. Yeah. But there's something about this scene that I hate Adina. Yeah. And it is that Ron stands there. And just looks at Harry. And stares blankly at Harry. He doesn't hug him. I know. He doesn't do anything. They lock eyes. And like, that's their moment. It's like and a knowing it. glance. Yeah. I'm like, dude, come on. This is toxic masculinity, like, in a nutshell. And you know what? To briefly touch on a topic we talked last episode, where I said that, like, Harry and Hermione kind of have some kind of chemistry. Yeah. I feel... I think this is the reason why I feel that way. And it's because Harry and Hermione are allowed to have genuine moments of like vulnerability with each other. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's boy and girl. And so, like, even That's if allowed. they're friends, it's like bl- more comfortable or allowed. Yeah. But Ron and Harry are so bound within this like typical male code. friendship and code that, like, even as Ron looks at Harry knowing he is walking to his death and never he gonna will see never him again. see him again. 
he can't even give him a hug. I know. It's really upsetting. I did not like this. It's so stupid. And I think it is just kind of a problem with, and I think it's true to a degree in the books as well. I agree. The tone of the books agrees with this movie moment. Yeah. Like the books don't contradict this idea. If this scene was in the books, it'd probably be the same. Yeah. But like, I think that's kind of partly why I feel like Harry and Hermione have a bit of chemistry is just because they have moments of like yeah. connection. Mm-hmm. Whereas, They're able to be vulnerable with each other. Yeah. Whereas Harry and Ron just give each other a knowing like, like a nod. Yeah. Like, you know, man. All right. See you, man. I'll see you <laughs> Good later. Good luck dying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take care of Hermione. Yeah. Don't worry about her. <laughs> God. But Harry goes to face his death. And at this moment he realizes how to open the snitch. He's been like, how do I open this snitch? Do I lick it? Do I put it in my mouth? Do I have to eat it? Do I put it in my butt? (laughs) (laughs) But finally, the words on the snitch I open at the close ring true to him, and he understands, and he tells the snitch, I'm ready to die. Yeah. And the snitch opens up, revealing the um, resurrection stone. Yeah, and he's able to use the stone... To provide comfort to him at the end, not to bring the people back in his life for selfish reasons, but to literally be like, hey, what's dying like? Tell me about it. I'm about to do it. <laughs> I'm I'm going to dabble in it. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to like test it out and see. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what rating did you give it on Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like that he gets to see these important people in his life again in this vulnerable moment. And... They swear to be with him in that moment until the end. Yeah, it's very sweet. It's like, and honestly, like book to movie, like the dialogue is Is almost like verbatim, exactly the same. Weirdly, though, the movie still included the line where Harry looks to Lupin and says, Lupin, I'm so sorry you died. Your son. (laughs) And we're like, what son? What son? You've never said. No, Tonks was like, oh, Harry, I have to share some news. We're going to have a, and then that's it. And Harry knew. That he had a son, apparently. Yeah, that he not only had a child, but a son specifically. Yeah. Yeah, just like one of those moments where I'm like, all right. Just don't even include it. Yeah, just don't. Like, I'm sorry. I know fans of the books love Lupin and Tonks and probably this plot line. But Mm -hmm. like, if you don't have time for it, don't have this line. And in fact, they could have had Lupin and Sirius just... Uh, together like they always should have been yeah definitely (laughs) yeah they're like they've got their arms around each other yeah yeah and lupin's like tonks is fine with it (laughs) um i really love this scene though it doesn't feel contrived or forced in any way no and actually it's a very slight difference but i really just love this moment of harry after he's like you guys will be with me yeah because in the books they actually follow him to Voldemort's encampment. Yeah. But in the film, after Sirius gives his line of like, we'll be right here, pointing to his heart. Mm-hmm. Harry just drops the stone. Yeah. And I love that shot. And I love this moment. And the idea that like, it's enough to just know. That they're there. That they're there with him, like in spirit. And the fact that he just kind of throws the stone on the ground and is like, I don't care. Yeah. About this. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Something and he about does that, he does the same thing in the book later. Yeah. Well, he kind of like he unintentionally drops the stone 
in the forest and then chooses like not to go back and look for it later. Yeah. I just think the moment is more impactful the way he drops it in the film Mm -hmm. very intentionally. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he faces Voldemort and is just kind of like, okay, kill me, which is like so insane. And I like how in the movie he just like kind of closes his eyes. Yeah. And Ray Fiennes gives his most impactful Oh, Vonagra! <laughs> <laughs> like, give it all you got. I mean, I, I I know we've talked about it before, but Ray Fiennes as yeah. Voldemort, he's so good. He is. He really elevates a character that, like, on the page is it's just... such a caricature. He's just, like, pure evil with red eyes. He's and, in a hood. He's like, hey! And he looks like a snake. But, like, Ray Fiennes just, like, just gives him such malice and just such pleasure in the evil he's perfect it's great i agree but harry getting shot in the face with uh the killing curse brings him to death maybe or at least to king's cross station yeah he's in like kind of a borderland between life and death and this is where he meets voldemort and there's like a flayed child which is how it's described in the book in the movie it kind of looks like a house elf like, on the ground? Yeah, well, it looks like how Voldemort looked in the fourth movie. Oh, yeah. When they threw him in the, the cauldron. The potion. Yeah, when yeah. he's like a weird baby man. That's what he looks like here. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the depiction in the film is, like, gross and, like, effective and yeah. kind of conveys that idea that this is... And I like making it gruesome, this idea of splitting your soul. Yeah. It's very abstract when it's talked about a lot, mm-hmm. but to actually see, like... In the afterlife, how that's represented. Yeah. It's like, oof. Dumbledore is there to greet Harry in this, like, afterlife thing. And this is a good time to just say what version of Dumbledore is in this book and movie, I guess. Yeah. This version of Dumbledore is Dumbledead. Yes. Not uh, very revolutionary, I guess. But uh, I still think it works. But it's to the point. Yes. We get a lot of explanations from Dumbledore in the book specifically where Dumbledore kind of reveals that he had planned all this and he wanted Voldemort to try to kill Harry and ended up only killing the Horcrux part of Harry and not the rest of him because Voldemort used Harry's blood to become fully formed in the fourth book. It's a lot. Okay, so... I forgot about this, honestly. There are a lot of things about this finale that I like, Mm -hmm. thematically. I love the idea that Harry becomes the master of death because he's willing to embrace death. Yeah. Whereas Voldemort, like, always pushed it away and was trying to, like... Feared it and tried to, like, defeat it or conquer it. Mm -hmm. And just kind of this, like, very interesting depiction of death as a subject in this book i think yeah. is super interesting and like handled really well yeah uh and i really like it there's a lot of thematic things that i like about and even just the plotting of like the battle and then harry discovering about uh snape and then yeah. going to confront voldemort in this death scene and then seeing dumbledore again like i love a lot of this however the explanations in the book are just so stupidly convoluted and totally unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't really need it. I mean, even the movie, Dumbledore is saying, like, he killed the part of you that was him, basically. We're like, okay, I can believe that. 
Like, yeah. That he, when he would attack Harry, that would be the thing that would be killed because it's him doing it. Because, like, having forgotten the explanation in the book and being more familiar with the movie, you know, going into this, like, my idea was always just, like, a part of Voldemort was attached to you. Yeah. So it makes sense that, like, if you got hit with a killing curse, that it would, like, kill that part first. Yeah. Now, that doesn't explain why Voldemort would have to be the one to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, Mm -hmm. like, regardless... That's just like a simpler, better explanation than in the book where he's like, well, you see, Voldemort took your blood, right? Which allowed him to touch you because before he couldn't touch you <laughs> because of your mom's uh, love protection. Yeah. So he could touch you now. But actually, it's worse now because he can't kill you. Even though he couldn't kill you before because of the protection, now he really can't kill you because he has your blood in you. And I'm like, What? Yeah, what's worse for me, so I can accept the blood, Ian, but what I didn't like was the wand explanation. Or not explanation? Yeah, Dumbledore was basically like, well, I have a theory that your wand basically drank up uh, Voldemort's wand. Juice. Juice. (laughs) I'm going to use the the polite word and say juice. It was like a go-gurt. Yeah. That's like a wand, like the juice. And then became more powerful and like recognized Voldemort more easily because of its special awareness. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that makes no sense to me. Also, you introduced this thing in this book. Yeah. This isn't something that you, oh man, I mentioned this in the second book and I have to retroactively explain it now. No. You dug this hole. You did this to yourself. (laughs) yourself in this book why did like that whole wand thing yeah his wand just turning on Voldemort by itself like just could have not been included just easily. don't do that yeah it's so bizarre that like and the fact that vault like not even now I'm doing it the fact that Dumbledore can't even like give an adequate explanation he's like I don't know what the fuck happened yeah I don't know whatever <laughs> uh but yeah I don't know it's just like It's the same thing with the Elder Wand. It's just like there are explanations that are simpler. And at the end of the day, this is magic. Okay. Yeah. The explanation doesn't matter. No. Like give a simple explanation that makes sense. But like she explains it in such detail and it's so prolonged. But like there's still so many plot holes in it that like don't make sense to the point where like, why am I reading any of this? (laughs) What I did like, though, in the book is Dumbledore talking about his past. Like, we've heard about it from Aberforth. We've heard about it from other characters. And finally, Dumbledore is talking about it to Harry. And he talks about how horrible he felt in that moment where his sister died. And he realized the terrible path that he was on and how he was tempted by power with Grindelwald. And also that he was a fool for seeking uh, the Deathly Hallows. And that for the rest of his life, he knew that power was his weakness. And so he turned down positions as the minister of magic. He focused on teaching and helping children and like, you know, ended up defeating Grindelwald because he owed it to like the world to do that because he had helped make Grindelwald the person that he was. And I loved getting this reflection with Dumbledore. We see him weeping over his sister and his family and also revealing that the curse was because he he knew that the resurrection stone was in the ring. So he put it on because he wanted to see his family again. Yeah. And that's just like so sad to 
to realize and to once again just to humanize Dumbledore so yeah. much and to see him so and which also you know when we see Dumbledore in Snape's memories mm-hmm. he seems a lot colder yeah. in certain ways like obviously towards Harry's like entire life yeah they're like and Harry has to die okay and, bye yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know how it is yeah uh, so like just seeing these different facets of the same character I find like super interesting I agree and Dumbledore basically gives Harry the inspiration, like, you can die if you want to, but I think life is still worth living for you and that mm. you can still win. Yeah, I love that Harry has a choice. Mm-hmm. I, and and the my favorite line in both book and movie when he's like, is this all happening in my head? Yes. And then, of course, it's happening in your head. Doesn't mean it's not real. I don't know why, but I just like tear up so much at that line. No, it's beautiful. I can't even explain it, but it's just like so touching. Mm hmm. And when Harry comes to, he's face down on the forest floor. And luckily, Narcissa is the one to check to see if he's alive. And she's concerned about Draco. And so in this moment, Harry is able to tell her that Draco is still alive. And she does not give a fuck about Voldemort. She's no. like, if if Voldemort thinks he's won, we're going to go back to the castle. Nobody else is going to get killed. And then I'll be reunited with my son. Yeah. So she lies and is like, yep. Yep, he's dead. He's 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 dead, all right. Sure is dead. (laughs) Throw him around a little bit. Yeah. Do the Cruciatus curse. He's real dead. He's (laughs) real. But let's go. Let's keep moving. Let's Let's not dwell on it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So they make Hagrid carry Harry, which is so sad. Oh, my God, Hagrid. He's, like, weeping. Yeah. And Harry in the book, I'm so mad. He, like, it's not, it doesn't even sound like it's difficult for him. Yeah. And I'm like, feel empathy for Hagrid. No one appreciates Hagrid. I know. Hagrid loves him so much. But they get back to the castle. I, so in the book, when Voldemort gets there, he's like, Harry Potter is dead. I killed him when he was fleeing for his life. He was sneaking out. I actually laughed out loud because I was like, oh my God, that's so mean that he lie even (laughs) after harry was dead (laughs) i'm like it makes total sense but like i wouldn't even have thought of that because it's not in the film you're such a bitch you're such a bitch (laughs) we get though in the movie that awkward scene where voldemort hugs draco I cannot keep a straight face. <laughs> so apparently that was improvised oh by God. Ray Fiennes and Malfoy wasn't in on it. So his like weird just freezing. Oh, my God. But I also like it because in my mind, OK, <laughs> Voldemort, he's just ecstatic. Okay? Yeah, no, he's so happy. He's killed Harry. He's conquered the wizarding world. The, the world is his for the taking. He's so happy that like he's like, come join me. And he's like, actually, like. Draco, oh my god, I'm so happy. And he's like, let me just give you a hug. And it's super uncomfortable. Yeah. And then even later when Neville stands up to him and he's like, I'd like to say something. And he's like, he's yeah, like sure. so mad. But he's like, all right, let's <laughs> try this. Like, he's trying to be nice to, like, everyone. <laughs> it's great. But the hug. The hug. The hug is just, like, Chef's beautiful. Chef's kiss. Yes. yes. But Neville stands up to Voldemort and pulls the sword of Godric Gryffindor out of the sorting hat, slices the head off of Nagini. It is epic. Neville, congratulations. Yeah. In the book, it's like so immediate. Yeah. Uh, The film, though, I love, we see, it's a little less contrived than him just finding the hat on the ground. You see the glint of the sword beforehand. Mm -hmm. And just his speech in the film is so good. 
And the fact that he ends it when he pulls the sword yeah. out of the hat. And then that's the moment that Harry, Harry decides to like undead himself. <laughs> and Voldemort's just horror at seeing Harry stand up and like him trying to curse the snake. Mm-hmm. And I love that it bounces off, but like there's still this like euphoric yeah. cheer that comes up through everyone. It's just like such a well handled build up in mm-hmm. the scene. It's excellent. Yeah. And in the books, we see like the centaurs and the house elves led by Creature join Mm -hmm. the fight, which is also really exciting. Um, But like, as you were saying, Harry is like under the invisibility cloak in the book. Yeah. No one really saw him not be dead. Yeah. And until he like reveals himself in the Great Hall. And in the meantime, he's like observing other people dueling. He sees Molly and Bellatrix fighting. And of course, uh, Molly killing Bellatrix. Yeah. And he's like helping to a degree, like casting yeah. charms, but like under the invisibility cloak, which like I'm not saying isn't smart, but it just feels kind of, yeah, I don't know, not great, kind of cowardly almost. Mm-hmm. So in the book at this moment, Nagini's dead. Yeah. And in order to kind of like stop everyone from fighting, he reveals himself. Yeah. And this begins the Western style. Yeah, the standoff. Standoff between him and Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And this is also where Harry reveals the master plan of the Elder Wand to uh, Voldemort. But he, first he reveals to Voldemort and to everyone that Snape was a double agent, was really working for Dumbledore, and then reveals that uh, Dumbledore was not the master of the Elder Wand. Or uh, Snape wasn't. It was Draco. Yeah. And he's giving his entire argument. He's got a PowerPoint presentation prepared. <laughs> as to why the Elder Wand doesn't belong to Voldemort, it belongs to him. Yeah. And I I do like the fact that, like, Voldemort isn't attacking Harry yet, probably because he is fearful and, like, is kind of like, I'm going to hear him out and just hear his whole thesis before I, like, try to kill him again. He prepared this whole presentation. I'll let him finish. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wait for the Q&A session at the end. Yeah. But this leads to the final buildup of this scene. Voldemort tries to kill Harry with the killing curse. Harry uses... His uh, trademark spell. His his favorite, his go-to, his classic. Mm-hmm. What is it? Expelliarmus. Expelliarmus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, I, I, I wanted to say disarming spell, but then I forgot what it was named. And then Voldemort's spell rebounds and kills him. Yeah. Which, once again, this is a thing where, like, we have this whole long explanation, okay, about why the Elder Wand belongs to Harry. Yeah. But, like, what killed Voldemort? Voldemort was able to shoot a killing curse at Harry, right? He just did it earlier and it didn't kill Harry because of another reason. But like the wand is willing to shoot a killing curse at Harry. So that's not the problem. I guess the wand is more willing to be in the air than killing. It's it's more willing to be rebounded. Yeah. Like the explanation for why this kills Voldemort is so... Not there for me. What I did like, though, in the book is that Harry reveals that because he was willing to die and that he basically did die for everyone in the castle, that they're all protected from Voldemort now. Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that he the same protection that Lily, Harry's mother, gave to him for dying in Harry's place was that Harry died so that no one else would suffer And even though he lived through that, his sacrifice still mattered. Is that like 
a lifelong guarantee. Is everyone? I think it was like, just against Voldemort. That's true, because Harry's protection was only against yeah. Voldemort too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, it'd be a sweet deal Everyone's for everybody in like the castle. Impervious to like everything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the explanation for why like the rebounding curse even happened or why it killed Voldemort was like very. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Like once again, we get a lot of explanation, but I'm still confused. Let's talk about the movie, though, because the movie kind of has a more, like, active fight scene between the two of them. Yes, which, especially for a movie, I appreciate. Oh, they needed it. And even in the book, though, I remember when I first read the book and the whole rebounding curse thing happened. I remember like, oh, that's it. That was all right. I guess that's all that happens. (laughs) Harry has a fight with Voldemort. I especially love the early part of this fight. On the staircase. Yeah. This new staircase that we've never seen before, but it's still, it's great. I like it. Mm-hmm. I love at one point Voldemort gets on the other side of Harry while the snake is approaching from the opposite way. Yeah. Harry like brings the ceiling down to try to like take the snake on. It's just mm-hmm. that part's really well done. Yeah. I don't, the part where they're like kind of flying through the air and the two of them is like, I get what it's going for. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but I actually, I do really like the part where they're on the ground and kind of crawling towards their wands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The part where they're in the tower and Voldemort like uses his robes to like, like wrap Harry up. Yeah. But like, okay, you have him. Yeah. And then he just lets him go so he can like punch him around a little bit. Like, yeah. I like the physicality of it to a degree that Voldemort is just like, I'm so mad at you. I just want to punch you with my own hands. <laughs> and, you know, the flying through the air thing is super weird and trippy. Yeah. It's one of those moments where I'm like, I can't even say if it works or not, but I just. It's such a specific choice. I respect them so much for going for something so weird. Yeah. That I just appreciate it on that merit alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I, I'm not even sure it works, but I kind of still like it. Yeah, and then of course, you know, Harry ends up overpowering Voldemort in the duel, and Voldemort yeah. turns into dust. Yeah, it, and it's in the. I, I really love too. It's in the middle of their wands connecting. That's when Neville beheads the snake. Yeah, it's so epic in the film. I love his shout when he does it. Yeah, and then that interrupts their uh, wand connection. Yeah, and I think in that moment Harry like knows. And it just kind of like now's the moment. And yeah. that's kind of like when he kills him. Yeah. I mean, not really kills him. The curse rebounds onto him. So Harry didn't actually kill him. <laughs> he's not responsible. No. Yeah. Don't blame but him. He's also responsible. Yeah. And I do like the way Voldemort just flakes away into nothingness. Yeah. And then we get kind of like a little bit of a wrap up in both the book and the movie here where Harry decides what he wants to do with the Elder Wand in the book. He tells the portrait of Dumbledore that he left the resurrection stone in the woods. He's going to keep the cloak and that he's going to put the wand back in Dumbledore's grave, which I just got to say, this is a stupid decision because anyone can just kill Harry and then they could claim the other wand again. I know, like a bad idea. And everyone knows that you're like the owner of it. I know the movie one. I actually like a lot better because he tells Ron and Hermione the whole reason why the elder one is his. Like he reveals the whole Draco thing. And then he just snaps the one in half and is like, I'm Uh, done with this shit. It's so anticlimactic just in terms of how it just snaps like a twig. Yeah. And I like it too, because this mirrors 
the way he just left the resurrection stone in the woods. Yeah. Like just kind of this like returning it to nature. Yeah. And not really caring about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really like the vibe of that a I whole agree. lot. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about the epilogue? Let's get to the final moments, the epilogue. You know, I actually like, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I don't have much to say about the epilogue. My take is just like, it's fine. Yeah. It feels like the most obvious take on it. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, and they all have kids now. Yeah. And here the, are the names of their kids. Yeah. And the kids are taking up the mantle and there's going to be a future. You know, Not that there will be more books, but like the adventures yeah. continue, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, in the film, we also get the the older aged characters, which I think... All of them look great in terms of they didn't do a lot to them, except for maybe Ginny. Yeah, Ginny doesn't look great. I don't. Some shots are better than others. Yeah. I think it might be the hair. I'm not sure what it is exactly, but like something about her feels the most prosthetic or like not quite. Yeah. Good. I think everyone else, though, they did like a good job of like not. I actually read that the first they shot this before a different time where they used a lot more makeup. (laughs) And it was not good. And they're like, oh, no. And they're like, we have to go back and, like, reshoot this with, like, much less makeup. Yeah. Uh, I think ultimately it looked good. But, like, in terms of the narrative, I don't know. It just doesn't do a whole lot for me. Here's my pitch. I wish they had made Harry. And maybe people will be like, oh, that's, like, too corny. I think this is too corny, what they <laughs> did, what J.K. Rowling did do. I think Harry should have returned to Hogwarts as the defense against the dark arts teacher. He absolutely should have. Yeah. One. It would have been very, like, ironic in a great way. Yeah. It's like, because throughout the series, the whole every Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher dies and, like, there's a new yeah. one. And, like, <laughs> him returning would have just been an irony that I really would have enjoyed. Yeah. But secondly, we know Harry likes to teach. Yeah. And he's a good teacher. Yeah. And he knows about the dark arts, so he'd be a perfect choice for that. Yeah, I agree. And... Yeah, I think that would have been really cool. We instead are like, oh, Neville's a professor. Yeah. And similarly, like, this story feels like, well, Harry's a dad now, so who gives a fuck about him anymore? Like, he's yeah. just a, like, I want to know, like, I want to think that Harry's still maybe having adventures. Yeah. And him being, going back to Hogwarts. Yeah. Where all of his adventures basically took place as a teacher now. Mm-hmm. I want to think about him having adventures more still as an adult and not like his children. I agree. So fuck the kids, fuck children. (laughs) That's my pitch for the ending is Harry being the defense against the dark arts teacher. Okay. I think, I think we talked about everything. I think we did too. I do just want to say kind of in closing how much we love this series, even though we criticize it, I think it's important to be able to like look at something and see how much joy it brings you, all the things it accomplished, but also to be like, how could it have been better and how should we do it better if we take tell a story like this in the future? I'm definitely that way about like one of my favorite shows of all time, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. There's a lot of problematic things about it. And in the creators, similarly to uh, <laughs> yes. the Harry Potter series. Yeah. But I just want everyone to know how much we truly love this series. And even though we do criticize it it's because we care about it because we love it yeah something doesn't have to be perfect for it to be enjoyed and the act of like criticizing something 
as you said, isn't like dismissing it or trying to like downplay yeah. its like significance or anything like that. No, it's just trying to set a standard for moving forward. Like moving forward, we don't do this anymore and it's not okay. Yeah, yeah. How do we improve on these ideas? Like what are shows and books doing now that stories like Harry Potter maybe were lacking or could have improved that story? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean... I loved rereading these so much because, as I've said before, I have only read them the one time before yeah. doing the podcast episodes. I read them, I think, when the first four books were out, I read them back to back to back and then as mm -hmm. they were released. And I enjoyed so much rereading them. And in fact, like certain books that I remembered not liking a whole lot, like yeah. the fifth one maybe is now my favorite. Yeah. Uh, I just like came at them with a different perspective too. So it's mm -hmm. been a great experience. I agree. And so now we have to decide, Ian, is the book or the two movies better? I, uh, I know my answer. Boy, I'm really conflicted because I love these movies. Yeah. And I remember just having a fondness like that they ended the series, like, in my mind, in a really good way. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the seventh book when it came out and, like, liking it, but kind of being a little bit yeah. maybe disappointed in it, like, specifically in the the ending. Mm -hmm. However, rewatching these movies in a little bit more of a critical light, because it's easy to, when you watch these movies and you know the plot. Yeah, forgive certain things. Yeah, like, well, I know Lupin had a kid, so who cares if they don't yeah. mention it? But, like... <laughs> Reading it or watching the films for the podcast and being a little bit more critical of the gaping plot holes <laughs> in the films makes me a little bit more critical of the films. And yeah. simultaneously, I'm I liked the book a lot more than I had remembered. Mm -hmm. I'm going to confidently say the book. Yeah, I think the whole backstory of Dumbledore really seals it for me. Yeah, because this is such a really important part of the book that. Harry idolized this person, put so much faith in him, and then finds out that he's human and he made mistakes. And I think being able to find out about Dumbledore's history and to see his faults, but then to also have this like redemptive moment where Harry gets to talk to Dumbledore and see how much he regretted his mistakes and how much he used those regrets that he had to turn himself into a better person. Yeah. Like it just was so beautiful to me and I loved it so much. And I really enjoy getting that backstory in the book. Yeah, it's so it's so important to the book. And I get why the films didn't like hone in on that idea. Yeah, it would have been really hard to like make it work without it feeling like kind of pointless almost mm -hmm. um, to the plot as a whole. So I think I'm actually going to agree with you. I think I'm going to say book on this one, too. I'm really shocked because I genuinely. I I love the movies. These too. movies are so good. And in fact, one moment we didn't even talk. I think these they're handled so well. There's a moment in the film. It's after right after Voldemort's killed. Yeah. Where in the book, everyone kind of cheers and like almost mm -hmm. like surrounds Harry and like lifts him up on their shoulders. So, you know, kind of it's like very celebratory. The film takes this kind of like much more nuanced, sad kind of vibe. Yeah. Like when he it's like satisfied. He walks through the hall and like people are kind of maybe telling nice stories and there's kind of a, a slight good vibe going, but it's not like. A lot of people died. Yeah. So they're not like cheering and drinking and, you know. Throwing a parade. Exactly. And in that moment, I'm like, these movies have a nuance to them. Yeah. That's really, really good that I think is lacking in a lot of adaptations and movies of like 
YA stories and stuff like that. Like, yeah. there's a, a nuance to these films and an execution that is so good that you don't see a whole lot, which is why I I'm, I wanted to say the films, I think, going into this. But, like, yeah. ultimately, the book is just really, it was really, really good. Yeah. And I agree with everything you said about the Dumbledore plot line. Mm-hmm. So it's a definite book for us, but... You gotta love the movies, too. Oh, my, yeah. It's it's a tough choice to make. And should we do some lightning round? Let's let's do a, a Harry Potter lightning scar. <laughs> lightning, lightning scar lightning round. round. <laughs> so first up for lightning, uh, it's kind of interesting. So in the film, it's very obvious that, uh, I mean, it, it's said that Neville loves Luna. Yeah. And he goes to tell her that he loves her. Mm -hmm. And we get this really sweet moment at the end after the battle of them just sitting together. Yeah. And I love them as a couple. Just the idea of them. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's not established before whatever. They're great. Yeah. Um, In the book, though, it seems to be subtly implied that maybe Luna and Dean. Yes. Are an item. Mm -hmm. He takes her hand at the end. Okay. Yeah. I didn't catch that. When they're leaving the room of requirement. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because they spent some time together at Shell Cottage mm-hmm. uh, after they escaped from Malfoy Manor. Yeah. So it makes sense that they had some time together maybe to like... Get to know each other. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of think that differing of um, matchmaking is interesting. Yes. Next for lightning round, I just want to briefly touch on the horoscope uh, situation for the Golden Trio. Harry is a Leo. Which makes a lot of sense. He is the star of this show. He always has to be the center of attention, whether intentional or not. And he's in Gryffindor, which is an actual lion. Yes. Hermione is, not surprising anyone, a Virgo. Uh, She has to be in control of everything. She is super highly organized, has really high expectations for herself and others. I'm actually a rising Virgo, so I find a lot of uh, myself in Hermione there. And then Ron is a Pisces, which I'm a Pisces. That's my sun sign, so I'm a little offended that Ron (laughs) is a Pisces. But I guess you could say that he is ruled by his emotions very significantly, so I'll allow it. That's true. He's just more, like, kind of bitchy in that way. Yeah. (laughs) What are you saying? No, I'm I'm saying Ron's interpretation of that. He's not nuanced with how he's, like, you know, emotional. You know what I mean? He's just obnoxious about it. Yeah, it's like what someone would think a Pisces would be like. Yes, but what they're not actually like, of course they're not. Exactly. Um, There's a part in the book, so after Voldemort has been killed, and, like, there's more kind of, like, celebrating and, like, revelry in the castle, and everyone's kind of in the Great Hall. Um, It's pointed out that Malfoy is there with his parents. Yeah. And the parents, like, seem kind of uncomfortable, but nobody's saying anything. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm like... Someone arrest them. Yeah. Like, they're war criminals. <laughs> like, I don't even care that, like, Narcissa, like, I, I don't know, maybe be nicer to her, but, like... Yeah. Malfoy Sr., like... Yeah. Someone do something. Do anything. <laughs> but they're just, like, awkwardly, like, oh, I don't know. Is this, like, our crowd? Are, like, we, are we in this party? Maybe we should leave. And I'm like, oh, uh, what? What? <laughs> I know. In the movie, they just kind of, like, run away. Yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense in the film that they just, like, fuck off the moment that they get the chance to. Mm -hmm. Last for lightning round. In the movie, 
Uh, when Voldemort kind of collapses after he tries to kill Harry in the forest, Bellatrix is trying to help him up and she just won't leave him alone. And he like pushes her down, <laughs> which is so funny. And then there's another scene when they're going to Hogwarts that he just like wands and pushes a giant like off a bridge into like nothingness. And I just love his like pettiness of like pushing people out of his way. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> uh, that's it for lightning round. That's it for Harry Potter. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for all of you who have listened to this series. Thanks for being here. Thanks for tagging along on this incredible journey. It's been so fun. And we just got to like pitch our Patreon one more time. We have a lot of cool stuff going on there. We have a Discord now for patrons. And also we have a, our special close friend stories on Instagram Ian just ripped out some carpet in our house and the lucky patrons got to see him yeah. do it. So. If you missed it, don't worry. There's more carpet that he's <laughs> ripped out in the house. You'll get your chance. Uh, additionally, we have bonus episodes every month for yeah. patrons as well as monthly schedules, priority recommendations. We got a lot of good, juicy content on Patreon, so come check it out. If you are unable to become a patron, uh, please consider giving us a good uh, Apple rating, Apple ratings, Apple podcasts rating. Yeah. And you I don't know, think we have anything else. I think we are very tired. We are. <laughs> this episode went on longer than I think we anticipated, but it was worth it. Yes. To conclude in this fashion. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.